the spirit of God like a UTI is burning. <laughs> You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just a radar fence. Listen to them talking to Mike. Uh, it's burning all right. Do you want one of these? A UTI? No, thank no. you. <laughs> oh. So, uh, update, podcast update. Uh, I did hear from Anjali. <laughs> uh, Justin, under the wire, we just got the message yesterday. She was like, this is it. This is the Instagram <laughs> message. Uh, she said she was listening in her car. And I'm describing Eleanor Roosevelt High School, and she's there with all these stories and stuff. And, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then I'm talking about lunch dude, trash duty in the cafeteria. And she's like, oh, man, I remember, I remember that. She, uh, she just meant she remember having to do that. Yeah, she she's just remembering all these things. She's oh, just like along so with funny. the story. Uh, and then, but like nothing has set off an alarm in her head yet that this yeah. is going to be about her until. Uh, she's like the speakers in my car blast out Anjali <laughs> she's like this is about me so I asked her if she remembered that day I was like do you remember me doing uh, trash duty with you and she was like of course uh, but she never she never suspected that I was the one that narked her out apparently oh, yeah. I like never talked to her again because I thought it was so obvious <laughs> I was like well there goes that never you know they say shoot your shot uh, and <laughs> shot it. I did and went right into my foot and I, I was like, I'm done. I'll never, I took, but uh, apparently she was none the wiser. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, I got, I got really worried that uh, I overestimated how many of my friends listened to the podcast. I thought I would be getting messages like the next day, people that lit and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe you told that story about Anjali. Uh, then I, I, I was coming to this, coming to grips with the fact that everyone lies to me about listening to the podcast. Oh. I was like, no one actually does. They all just say they love the podcast. Uh, but then we, we made it, we made it while we're doing updates, update people, uh, next week, right after Halloween, we're doing a few shows. We've got, uh, tickets left. For all of them, but not very many. It's uh, first is Thursday, November first in Pocatello at Club Charlie's. Then we got Friday, November second in Twin Falls, Idaho at TF Brick House. And then on Sunday, November fourth, we are at the Beehive in Salt Lake City. And uh, we've got about ten tickets left for that. We added a few more. And they're going to sell out. And at, once they sell out, we'll do some standing room tickets. But uh, go over to our Eventbrite. You can find the link through Facebook event or our website uh, touring page or whatever. And get some tickets soon because uh, they're not going to last. Uh, the, like, it, I don't know. If you, come, if you show up the, the night of the show, you're going to be standing in the back. And uh, I'm going to laugh at you. And if you're in New York City, <gasps> are we can yeah, oh I guess boy. we. You want to announce this? Yeah. We're gonna announce this. Yeah, let's <laughs> fucking announce it, Jesse. Hit him with it. 
Uh, your boy has been selected as one of ten TBS's comics to watch, and he will be at Caroline's at Caroline's 9 PM on Broadway as part of the New York Comedy Festival on November seventh. Ooh, ooh, yeah, November seventh. We're both going to be in New York City, and I am I'm performing. Just be proudly watching. I am going to be nervously performing. I uh, I hate showcasing. We uh, just recorded an episode where you talked about this, but I don't think the episode will be recorded for, or, yeah. I mean, uh, released for a while. But uh, <sighs> showcase doing a short set is uh, so nerve wracking to me because I don't ever do it that much. I started, I did, I did humor you sets. And those are the shortest sets I ever did. And even those were really long for a brand new comic. And I mean that not like, oh, I was brand new and I was doing long. No one, sh I shouldn't have been given that much time. Uh, it, I wasn't, it was undeserved. And, but then out in Utah, you, to make it as a comic, you just, I started featuring. I started doing 30 minute sets and stuff. And then as I got better at that, I started doing hour long sets and started headlining and things. And I got really good at that. It's a completely, not completely different skill. It's a pretty different it's skill pr set. And I think everyone I know who does autobiographical material struggles a little bit with showcase sets. our kind of auto autobiographical. Yeah, because it's just, it's so much less time to reveal that right. when, when your comedy is based on revealing personal things about yourself. It's just not the same as getting up and being like, ever notice you know mm -hmm. for a showcase you want to fit as many different jokes right. in as you can i mean uh a guy that i like shane torres did his conan set which is like a six six and a half minute set or whatever he did his entire set on just one joke which was just guy yep. fieri uh but those kind of sets are rare i like them uh obviously but you try to fit as many jokes as you can also you have to just start right away boom you want to hit him with a big joke and get right into it and go joke yep. joke 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 and I'm so used to like getting on stage, having time to stretch my legs a little bit, flirting with the audience, you know, and just do a little bit of crowd work and then find like a natural in into. I like to make it sound like a conversation. I just kind of ease into some jokes and make it all sound so natural and stuff. And so then uh, getting up and being like, OK, I've got I've got six minutes and I've got to get started right away. It n makes me nervous. And uh, I just bombed so hard uh, at a corporate gig this week that, like, I bombed so hard it just psychologically damaged me. And so I'm I am nervous of, about getting ready for this New York set. But I'm one of Team Coco's top comics to watch. This Hell yeah, deal, guys! Hell yeah! I am excited about this. Very very excited. And so it's possible. That because uh, the people that book comics for Conan, which is my dream to to do a set on Conan, the people that book for that will be there. I mean, they help make the lineup too. But you you're essentially auditioning for a late night spot at this showcase. But there's other cool industry people there as well. It doesn't there there are ramifications beyond just uh, Conan O'Brien. But I wouldn't care if there wasn't. I would just be so excited. <laughs> To maybe perform. I Jessica is a witch, as you'll remember. And uh, do you? You are always better with exact words and stuff. Do you remember a conversation that we had? It was like a messenger conversation. Early on or recently? 
it was a few months ago. We had a conversation about late night. Well, you you said you said something like, uh, "Your girlfriend is the most magic, uh, the most powerful person in the universe." Yes, I can get you a spot on Conan. Or something. <laughs> You said something. I said. I said. Yeah, but can you get me a spot on on Conan or something? Oh yeah. It was when it was when I was uh, not going to Asheville. I think I got accepted oh, to the yeah. Asheville Comedy Fest, and uh, then we had stuff going on, and it was also expensive to get to Asheville. And uh, and you and I remember you saying because I, I was I was torn. I wanted to go, and. And you were like, you're going so that you can perform in front of industry people. And I said, yes. And you were like, you can just do that elsewhere. Like you can, we can get, you're going to perform in front of industry people. You don't have, if you miss this weekend, it won't be the end of the world. And I was like, yeah, but can you promise me that I'll, I'll get a chance to be on Conan or something. And you were like, your girlfriend's the most powerful person in the universe. Yes, I can get you a spot on Conan or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, all right, okay. And here we are a few months later. And uh, you better fulfill your part of the bargain. Yeah, so. thanks for the UTI. What? <laughs> How's that my fault? Uh, this is... This is a real fair arrangement we have here. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Real fair arrangement. You you get me into the New York Comedy Fest, and all you got was the greatest dick of your life. Uh, uh. All right. Let's talk about... <laughs> uh, oh, dude. I'll talk about Dear John's on this episode. I love talking about about Dear John's. I always, uh, like the, I was always a little cynical. I guess I don't know. I remember telling nineteen year olds, "You're an idiot. She's going to dump you. You don't ever wait for anybody. Don't do it. It's so dumb." Interesting. Yeah. So you didn't. That wasn't. You weren't cynical based on past relationships you were cynical based on well you've probably just seen a bunch of dudes yeah it it happens to everyone and everyone thinks that they're not going it's not going to happen to them because they them and their girlfriend they're they're the real deal they're really in love oh yeah not like those other teenagers who met junior year like the the you everyone met what you would call magical thinking everyone employs it when they're about to go on a mission and i just thought y'all are dumb also, I wanted to be a super righteous missionary. That I, so I didn't think you should have a girlfriend. It's like, how, how are you supposed to give your heart to the Lord if you've already given it to someone else? Break up. Break up. Serve the Lord. That's what you're doing. This, Do it then. Don't spend two years thinking about what you're going to do after those two years are done. Just spend your two years doing it. And then let her, uh, you know date other dudes i thought it was nuts that you would expect someone to go through the same sort of forced celibacy as you just because you were going and you couldn't date anyone for two years she can't date anyone for two years i feel that way about prison uh i know (laughs) (laughs) uh weird parallel here but my policy you know i'm not uh super monogamous anyway I mean, I am, but I don't like my philosophies aren't. But to me, it was always crazy that dudes would be in prison or in jail 
and uh, would call us and be like, yeah, you know what, like so-and-so is doing. It's like, yeah, of course she's fucking your friends. Like, of course she's fucking people. And I was just always like, look, if you go to jail, I am not going to be faithful to you. You are welcome. I used to tell, uh, jokingly tell Jason this, like if you went to jail today, husband of mine, um, you could feel free to come out and fuck my shit up when you get done. Like try you know, like see if I'm still available and, and whatever. And maybe I'll leave whoever I'm with for you. But like, I'm not, we had a friend who was in prison for six years and freaking out about what his wife was doing. And it's like, dude, that's six years. That's so much time in our twenties. That's so much yeah. time in your life. Like that's absurd to think that because you went to jail, someone else has to live in prison also. That's uh -huh. ridiculous to me. And how like insecure can you get? Just go serve your time. You know, is the Lord, whatever the Lord, and, the uh, Lord or the and, state, and then uh, let her get fucked. I mean, I guess in Mormonism it's different because they, that, they're not even fucking or supposed to be. You know, like just let her get free Applebee's <laughs> <laughs> occasionally. Like you know, I don't. When I guess some people are going to college and you're going to go date at, at BYU or at college or whatever, a lot of people are just staying in their town. They're just 18 still in the end. Why don't they get married before the mission? Are you allowed? Well, like they did with Vietnam or whatever. Like, why not just get married? And could then... you get out of Vietnam if you got married? What no, but like they would get married. I think the military stuff. Oh. They would get married before they leave for basic training. Oh, okay. And then that way, that person has the benefits, and if they die, they get the benefits. I think. Oh, okay. I thought I was like, this is a great way to dodge. <laughs> <laughs> you could just be married. Really, does it? Of course, you're, what you said makes way more sense. <laughs> Uh, well, you can't go on a mission if you got married. Oh, okay. You can't. Uh, you've got to be a virgin, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. No, I feel like once you get that's not that's not true. You don't have to be. You do have to. You have to do some serious repenting, probably. But you can. There's plenty of non-virgin yeah, serving only missions, right? Because yeah. everyone else, was everyone just else like, just, just did, did it, it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but once you're married, that's your job. That's your new. That's your new covenant, and that's it. And so you, uh, you got to stay with your wife, I guess. Old married couples can serve missions together, but young married couples, no. Man, I just think that they. That you got to be kept infantile, you know. I I think that uh, getting married is growing up, and once you do that, you're too grown up to go on a mission. That's true. Probably once you have sex, uh, your perception of it just opens up your yeah. perception of the world. You grow up a little bit, and you you might start to question things. And also, would be hard once you've had sex. It would be harder to stop having sex. Yeah. So I know people that have gotten married instead of going on a mission. They uh, wanted, basically, they were having sex with their girlfriend, and right. so they were no longer eligible to serve a mission unless they went through this repentance process. But they also don't really want to go on a mission, and so uh, they just got married instead. And so that kind of appeased the parents. It's like it's better than staying home from your mission to not get married, you know? Right. <laughs> like so, there was at least something for his parents to celebrate. When he was 19. You know? It's so weird that in this culture, 
getting married is an accomplishment that your parents are proud of. Yeah, man, because it's that's what the whole the whole world is about. We're here to make families. That's how we become like God, and that's da 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 da. da. Marriage is such a huge integral part of Mormon doctrine and philosophy, and so uh, it's the that just that wedding day has become such a huge celebration, and yet we don't do it well. Yeah. We have the worst <laughs> weddings. The Mormons, by all the practice we've had, we. By by any metric, should be doing much better. Yeah. But we are still, after all these years, just getting married in gymnasiums, in gymnasiums, <laughs> carpeted gymnasiums. Where did where did you get married? Oh, we had our services done at uh, at Westlake. Oh, it was beautiful, beautiful views. the The autumnal colors were in full bloom and. <laughs> All of our friends came from Nantucket, and and they we we rode in canoes out to the island, and that's where we had the ceremony. That's a wedding. That's a wedding yeah. I would go to. But you were like, um, yeah, man, we just we just had our first dance on uh on the carpeted free throw line. <laughs> two why? minutes, two minute drive from my house. Can you not get sealed at a country club? Is that why? All right, so you got it. the the real the real deal takes place in the temple. You get sealed in the temple, and not everybody can come to that. That's just you know temple covenant members of the Mormon Church can be in there. So if you got non member friends, they're not coming. If you got member friends who aren't endowed, they're not coming. You got younger siblings and stuff, they're not going to be there to see it. So you'd think we would go all out more like just throw a bigger uh party or something yeah. to make to compensate but we definitely don't oh maybe because you're 20 yeah because we're 20 we have no money uh, our parents have six other weddings to pay for this month so <laughs> the the budget is stretched tight so we all just share the same tablecloth mormons get to, like i do love certain aspects of it because it's a little, I don't know. My opinion back then was, oh, it's gross to be so concerned with money, you know, that you have to have an expensive wedding. And I like that Mormons are focused on what really matters, the the heart of it. And uh, we're not so concerned with material things. We're just here. Like, that's how I felt when planning my uh, wedding with Tabitha, I thought, I don't care about any of this. I only, I'm in love with you and I just want to get married and I do not care. I don't want to spend any money on anything because I don't care. I'm going to get married to you and that's all I'm going to think about. And it was, it's all, I, I can't remember anything from my wedding night. I just remember her. I feel like I was so in love that that's all that I could think about. Also, maybe I don't remember anything because there was nothing memorable about right. dancing underneath a basketball hoop <laughs> with like some 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 uh, plastic flowers that we borrowed from somebody as centerpieces and tablecloths that we got from somebody else. And just like the centerpieces were just mar like marbles inside of a uh, glass thing like you just go to michael's and you just buy marbles and pour them into that's the what we did i did a very uh modest 
not modest, but it was in a fire hall. Yeah, were your shoulders showing? And uh, yeah, my whole, there was no straps on the dress at all. Not but modest. The, the dress I got out of the trunk of someone's car who had gotten dumped. And I was like, well, what's up with that wedding dress? I yeah, I remember you telling me that dress. story. And uh, the rings were fake. Nice. Because I just don't, I'm uh, not cheap at all, but I just don't, I don't care. There was marbles and glass. I was like, I've seen people put marbles and glass. I don't give a shit. I didn't want fake flowers in my hands. That was the only thing I cared about. But it was the best wedding to this day. People are like, it was the the best wedding just because the vibe was the awesome. vibe that's we had a wiccan can't... priestess marry us but we made her uh make the the service covertly wiccan because um there was christians there including uh nicole who i was the second time i had seen her and i was afraid that she would go back and tell them you know and we weren't wiccan but we didn't want catholic so we went with wiccan the chick had <laughs> snake tattoos on her hands um Ooh. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Do you think that's a good omen? Snakes at your wedding? Oh man. Oh man. I think now my thoughts. About the same trajectory. Yeah. Uh, I've I've been listening to myself on podcasts lately, especially that Sunday school one that we did. I'm glad that you guys liked that, by the way. I think we have a, uh, one coming out on Patreon this week. No, uh, yeah, we can put that out on Patreon oh, yeah. this week. Yeah, so if you got the pay, our patrons, we will get an extra little bonus Sunday school when we're talking more about uh, Nephi and Layman, I believe. Uh, so yeah, if you're not on Patreon, you can get on it for for that. But anyway, like I listen to myself and hearing myself get a little bit more, let's say, bitter. <laughs> Where at the beginning of this podcast, I felt like I could talk to big game about how I wasn't that mad. And every now and then we touch on a subject where I go, oh, yeah, I'm kind of mad about that. Yeah. I think I think I still am pretty much centrist where I, uh, I'm still cool with Mormons being Mormons if they want to, you know, get your Mormon on. I don't care. But there's certain things that uh, when we get to those subjects, I'm like, oh, I'm mad about this, you know, but... It's nice to remember like good memories of the temple when Matt Dartnell asked me about my first experience and I got to talk about that and like how good it was. That was nice to remember because uh, mostly I've just been mad. We just did <laughs> we just did general conference in the Mormon world and ugh, general conference has been a triggering weekend for me for years now. Even when I was still Mormon, I remember being uh, on BYU campus on Saturday evenings, uh, doing my homework at the library, being literally the only male body on campus because all the other dudes were at priesthood session and I was saying, fuck it, I don't like it, I don't want to go. And I was in the library doing my homework, getting dirty looks from every single girl that walked by. There's just not dirty looks, maybe just, oh, like, what's this guy? He's not, he's not a priesthood session you know but i've i've disliked general conference for a while now and i felt like was general conference a shelf thing for you or not a shelf thing uh what's the it's the first shelf is the thing yeah 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 i saw general conference get commercialized i saw spirituality monetized because of general conference yeah that was the grossest part about it general conference 
it's six, every six months, the prophet and the apostles get up and they speak to us, right? And we go and we listen and it's this huge spiritual event. Like God, that's the cool thing about Mormonism is that God speaks to prophets today and the prophets speak to us. So like, you're going to go hear what God has to say to you. I would fast before general conference. I would have uh, questions prepared that I wanted answered. Like I would be praying all week about God. This is something that I'm working on in my life right now. Will you help me find the answer at general conference time? And so then I'd be listening to all the talks with that question in my mind, hoping the spirit would speak to me and stuff. And, uh, we, you used to have to go to a church building to watch general conference. They would broadcast it on the satellite and you'd have to go to your church. So when I was younger, my whole, these weekends were completely dominated by church because you would have three sessions on Saturday and two on Sunday and they're each two hours long and you would just drive to church. You would do a session. You would uh, have a two hour break where you'd get lunch or something with your family and then come back and we would be dressed up in white shirts and ties the whole time and whatever. And I knew about these families out in Utah that could just watch it on TV. And when I met missionaries and they were all all like from Utah and they would talk about watching general conference in their pajamas on their couch. I was appalled. I was like, you <laughs> listened to the prophet speak in your pajamas. <laughs> you fucking heathens. <sighs> They're making you zone leader. Oh my God. Like this is <laughs> how could you? Right. And I used to still, when I lived in Utah in the beginning, I would still go to the church building to watch just because that's how I like this was in 2009 uh, when I'm married and uh, I'd leave Tabitha. She would want to watch at home and I'd be like, okay. And I would go to the church building and watch because I liked it better. And I would be the only person in church. Oh, my God. The only person there. Uh, I remember this old guy being like me and him trying to figure out how to turn on the TV (laughs) and that we were the only two people using it, you know. Well, then. It just like BYU TV uh, is now carried on like all cable network packages. So Mormons everywhere can watch conference at home and then the internet happens and like now you can stream everything on the internet. So like everyone's watching from home and at the same time, this is 2010, 2011, like Twitter's taking off and social media is becoming more important than ever. And we developed a, a, a way of tweeting about general conference. Like everyone is at home tweeting about conference and stuff. And you know, so wherever social media goes is where uh, money goes. There's companies that, that want to make money. Where do you advertise? What do you do? Like you get on social media. So I watched all these companies in Utah. And I mean like everything from Deseret book, like there's Mormon owned companies that are, uh, that are in on this, but then there's also like people set like their own little business that there's their handmade scarves or whatever their Etsy shop. Everybody's plugging their own goddamn thing, but they're plugging it under covertly under the guise of spiritualism. Like they're all using their, you know, their company platforms to tweet about how strong they felt the spirit in this one talk, you know? So there's just all these tweets that are like, oh, man, the spirit here is so strong. Oh, or like they're tweeting a picture of them with their with their with the pens that they're selling or whatever. And they're like, uh, this is so great for taking notes of the prophet. And oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, and it would just gross me out. It, it just grossed me. Like we, like, like we don't see enough of you selling your doTERRA shit already, Michelle. <laughs> we have to do this. Dur- like, fuck off. 
but like they were com- like Deseret Book is a church-owned company, and they would be churning out memes about co- talks the second they're happening. There's a and like a race to be the first person to put that quote onto a picture. Yeah. And then start sharing it around because if you can get all those retweets and you can get all those shares, well, then your life might get better somehow. And you're like, God damn it. The whole, this, there's a way to make your life better. And this is it. We're supposed to be listening to God right now. And this was just ugly. I was confused and I disliked it all. And it got worse. I remember the day I walked into the, the Wilk uh, bookstore at BYU the day after a conference. This is Monday. Someday during the week, a woman, a woman said, um, uh, like I'm Mormon. I, I love it. I live it. I, I dig it. I don't know. She said there was three things. There were three things. There was like, uh, thug it, hug it, fuck it, be a Mormon. There was something, she said some little, you know, quote, um, about that. And... (laughs) Please let it be like Fuck them, love them, leave them. Mormonists. <laughs> uh, this the the t-shirts. Anyway, I walked through the bookstore and there was a t-shirt for sale on Monday that said her quote on it. They had like a line of t-shirts. Are and I was like, what the hell? She just she just gave that talk, and the first thing you guys thought of was we got to slap that. On a T-shirt and put a twenty-four ninety-five price tag on it and get them in the bookstore right now. That's not the point of conference. What? After I left, there was something like not too long ago, uh, uh, like not a not in a twelve apostle, but one of these other lesser authorities. He gave a talk and uh, he had some he had some made up word. Ponderize, ponderize, ponderize the scriptures. <laughs> He, this is a word that they used to use in their family or something. Ponderize. And he gave this whole talk and everyone's like, that's so cute that they say ponderize, whatever. Um, then his son started selling ponderize merchandise. And his son's like a grown a grown man, right? Uh, then they they people did a little tiny bit of research and found out he had already registered the domain Ponderize or something. Uh, he had already like set this up before conference. Jesus, you know, you're just like you were banking on your dad's talk becoming memeable, and you were already like planning on profiting off of it this is the kind of shit that makes me want to throw tables over i want to walk it like i is that is so like me as an active mormon like uh i i wanted to just knock sense in everyone's head and be like look at how gross you're being there's an entire economy in utah that's based off of spirituality everyone that you work with is mormon and you have to be mormon to work with them like there are the some of the biggest employers in utah are the church right uh, but even outside of that, the just a lot of businesses are owned and run by Mormon members, and you just kind of got to be Mormon to be a part of it. There's a whole like wink and nod type thing where it's like you're one of us. It's okay. I would see billboards when I got to Utah that were advertising lawyers, but they were making appeals to religion in the advertisements. There was just, and that were the basic premise of the ad is you can trust us because we're like you, you know. Right. Like- I mean. I think anywhere you go, though, that has a community in recovery, there's, uh, you know, like you're more likely to 
if you need a carpenter, you're going to get a carpenter from recovery. You're going to help one of, one of the people from that community. So sure. Not... Are those guys buying ads that are targeted just to people in recovery? Are they are they getting up in meetings and promoting their own businesses no, in meetings? Be, that would not be yeah. okay. I think that like Mormons, the way that they help each other is great. It's something I love and miss is the community and the network. When you needed something done, the first you'd look to people in your ward who knows how to do that, and you'd ask them, and they would do it, and that's beautiful. But that's not what this is. Yeah. Something. Did you get what you were looking for in conference ever? Like when you prayed and fasted and then looked for messages uh, for yourself, do you think you found them? I think so. Do you think you found them because you were just using that as your own oracle? Absolutely. I think I think you find whatever it is you're looking for. It's no coincidence that every TV show and movie I watch these days reminds me of something we talk about on the podcast. Right. I'm like, Whoa, it's nuts, man. This, this The Haunting of Hill House is, is about family shared trauma that, uh, you know, like when you, someone, blah, blah, like I, I just relate everything to what I'm thinking about. Right. Right. And so I think general conference is general. I think they say a bunch of platitudes. I think they say a bunch of vague shit. And I don't think they say anything of substance. I think it's all general bullshit that you can pluck from, that you can pull anything that you need to pull from it. Like there's some, there's, there've been wise things that I've, that I've, uh, like put into practice in my life because of general conference. I remember Joseph B. Worthland giving a talk about getting over stuff and not letting it keep you down and just choosing to laugh about it, choosing to be happy and going, yeah, that's how I want to be. That's, that's great. But you didn't, uh, need to talk to God to give that talk, thankfully, because he couldn't. So, uh, the, the thing that I feel most bitter about is that, it's supposed to be God talking every six months. This is the prophets should be descending from Mount Sinai to give us the new instructions. It, like God is God is exists. He's real and he speaks to us. He has messages for us. That's why he put his servants on the earth to talk to us. That's why he restored his church through Joseph Smith. He's got stuff to say. And we live in a time of turmoil, of, of geopolitical uncertainty, of hatred, of, of terrorism, of unrest. And, and what is it that God could tell us today if he could? Well, it's, um, yeah, so God said we're going to shorten our meetings. <laughs> yeah, we just, uh, we talked to him and he said church is too long and uh, it's, just given with the with the football season that's underway, uh, <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna take our Sunday meetings down from three hours to two hours. And I watched Mormons lose their minds over it. Mormons celebrating, Mormons being like, "Yeah, oh my God, these are the big changes that we've been waiting for. <laughs> this is it." This is it. It's it's the two hour block. Oh, isn't it great? Isn't it great to live in a in a church of of revelation, of modern day current revelation that's guided by by living oracles, you know? 
Meanwhile, the world's on fire. <laughs> the world's on fire. We cannot we cannot put it out. And uh, God was like, hey, listen, uh, I know this is going to sound nitpicky or whatever, <laughs> but uh, I just kind of want to change a few of the words around that we've been using lately. I don't think the name of the church is long enough. Yeah. Could we make that longer? Uh, that would be that I'm would be with cool. Nicknames. Yeah. Just this is this is the new me now. Here we go. And so I, when I finally stepped outside of the church, that's what I realized. I was like, conference is dumb. And I went to it so much and I took it so seriously and I tried so hard to get anything out of it. And these dudes, and no one will ever say anything other than, but what a great conference it is. This kills me. And no one is critical. No, like, like you can't even be the least bit critical that everyone would talk about what a great man. I feel like this is the best session of conference I've ever been to. You can't say it after every single one. You can't think- you just say that that was a dud? Those guys phoned it in this time. There wasn't anything good in it this time. But no, Monday at school, we would have to dedicate minutes of collegiate class time to <laughs> recapping our favorite parts of conference. And it's insane to me. It's just the kids are like, yeah, I really felt the spirit when he changed the name from home teaching to ministering. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's um do you think it's afraid like a fear of being a dissenter or do you think it is I think everyone else is feeling the spirit so I have to pretend to feel the spirit no be- I think everyone's a coward I don't think anyone uh I, th- I think it's just one of the taboo things you can't you can't criticize So nobody's the like prophet. whispering in the background like this is No, it was like just me. And I would say stuff and people would be like, oh, oh, okay. I remember as a missionary, I loved conference. I criticized a priesthood session that I felt was just dumb or something. I was like, I didn't I didn't really feel anything. And members in the car that were driving us home were like, oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, what? I I mean, I was, I, I'm praying, I'm sitting there with my notepad, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm just saying, it wasn't... I love how... Uh, <laughs> There's nothing wrong say with it, saying honestly, that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying that. And they, they treat it so bad. There's a point in conference when you are allowed to oppose. They, they ask you to sustain all the church leaders, and you do it by showing your right hand. You raise your right hand to sustain them. You're like, I support him as the prophet. And then they say, and any opposed... Please show by the same sign. There's a chance for you to be opposed. And uh, in like recent years, someone does it every single conference. And every single time uh, there's there are Mormons who are just flabbergasted that that someone would disrespect the prophet that much. Like, that's just wrong. They're a sinner. They need to get out of the church. If you're unhappy, why don't you just leave? And you're like, it's built into the program. That's not, this is, this is the least disrespectful thing you can do. <laughs> you just raised your hand. There are people get mad at their tone though, because the people will yell in the conference center because it's humongous. And there's only like three of them that are opposing. So they'll just be like, nay, or, or like, well, I don't know what they yell. Uh, they yell, hail, hail payment. <laughs> <laughs> hail payment. And they raise their hand. Uh, and people are like, that's uncalled for. He summoned a demon to the conference center. <laughs> I'm not okay with that. 
I mean, if, if, why don't you just leave and summon payment elsewhere? <laughs> what was this year's card? There were suicides. Yeah, man. They did another fucking talk from Dallin H. Oaks. Dallin H. Oaks uh, used to be a, a Utah Supreme Court justice. He's a lawyer. He's a judge. And he's uh, an asshole. He's an asshole. I think he was president of BYU at some point. But he really, really hates the gays. <laughs> he really, really dislikes it. And it's like every six months he talks about it again. And you're like, that's what God said to you again. So all the 12 get to speak every six months. Right. And they all get to write their talks, you know, and it's all about something that they've been praying about or thinking about whatever they think is important. God reveals to them individually, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, God has these nice talks with everyone else, but then whenever he gets together with Dallin, he's like, fucking fags. <laughs> Dallin, you get it. You, I can't talk about it with anyone else. No one else gets it, but you, dude. Like, have you tried? Have you talked to them? And he's like, I talk to them every six months. I tell them, I tell them, Lord, Lord, I tell them all the time. I tell them all the time. And they don't listen. And he's like, well, try again. Try again. Do it one more time. <laughs> the church as a whole has tried to take steps in the past to be more inclusive, uh, to, to get better. There were times where I thought the church was getting better. But you have these dudes at the top who don't have to answer to anybody. And, and they can just they get to give whatever talk they want. And they have a lot of power. And they're very revered. And so their words hurt. Yeah. Their words hurt. You have people who have been trying to find their place in this religion, in this world. They're teenagers. They're vulnerable people who are figuring things out. And they're, they get a lot of messages that they don't belong, that they are wrong, that they are bad. But, like, they've got these people in the church who are telling them, like, no, you're worth something. No, don't listen to those other guys. No, 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 no. Like, you can be whoever you are. I'll love you no matter what. We'll all love you. God loves you. There are people in Mormonism who are trying to make it a better place and, and safer for, for people uh, of, all, of all kinds, right? And then they go to conference with a prayer in their heart, having fasted, you know, hoping to hear the answers that, the, that God you know, has for them. What if they are in a bad place and they're just trying to feel more loved? What if that's what they're trying to get out of conference? I went to conferences like that, just feeling sad. I was a depressed teenager feeling sad. I was struggling as a missionary, unworthy, and just wanted to feel uplifted at conference, wanted to hear nice words. And I, being a straight white dude, uh, heard uplifting words and it, it helped to hear that God loved me and stuff. I'd hear these people talk about it. But what if you went and you heard one of these revered apostles that you just rose your hand and sustained as an oracle of God say that gay marriage is of the devil and that uh, people that that uh, fight for gay marriage. Like he said something about like if you whatever you do, if you're trying to support gay marriage, then you are just securing victories for Satan. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah, he said all and he, and he just reaffirms once, hey, just in case anyone forgot what I said last time, marriage between a man and a woman. It doesn't matter what the talk is about, he brings it back to this. It's like marriage 
Still between men and women. One man, one woman. That's how we're going to do it. This is it. Is he who's who told women to stay off the internet or take a that break? That might have been the, the prophet at the women's conference. I heard a lot about that. Yeah, there was like they they said take a ten day uh, social media fast during it, the Kavanaugh uh, during the during Kavanaugh, the Kavanaugh stuff. Yeah, not being a Mormon woman, I don't really, I didn't have, I don't know. I heard people talk about it, but I didn't have too many opinions on it. Part of me thought it just sounded like it didn't sound nefarious to me. Because I think that the Mormon church is just, if they thought that much, if they, if they were conniving in any way, they would be a lot slicker than they actually are. They just say they are constantly uh, fumbling every possible moment they have to make things better. They could have apologized about uh, blacks in the priesthood this year and they doubled down and refused to. And it's just crazy to me, the stuff that they, and I'm like, if you were trying to trick people, you'd be better at this. I feel like what that says about the Mormon church is that they literally do not think about women or about like, they don't think about women having a place in politics or whatever. They didn't mean for it to be like, we're going to keep them off social media right before the election to try to swing the midterms our way they didn't do that they were just like we got to tell the women something i don't know (laughs) i feel like i feel like my wife's always on fucking instagram i wish she would stop that god women and their pinterest aren't they the worst as all these dudes do fantasy football on their phone they're just like yeah 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 we should we should tell them to have a fast that's that's what i think the that came from but i i am kind of out of touch on that story. I followed the Dallin H. Oaks' talk a lot more because the next day, the next day, there was a, a gay teenage kid in Utah that killed himself. The next day. And we have one of the highest suicide rates of teenagers in the country. We have one of the highest suicide rates for LGBTQ kids in the country. They might be the highest. I don't know. And it's... uh just crazy that no one can just get down to just shut up just stop saying that we we get it listen the doctrines on the books already we're just trying to make some websites called mormonandgays.com we're just trying to give people some if they want to be here we want to let them be here and this dude just will not stop uh, hurting people. I think he's a very selfish person. I don't see any godliness in him. I think he cares so much about himself and what he wants. And so then he presents everything in this self-righteous tone. Can you imagine having a platform, Jessa, where you got to state all of your opinions as God's, as God's word, as yeah. God's word, so that you were always right. And you could always pity these people when these people come up to you with reasoned arguments about why trans people have the same rights as other humans. And you can just go, I just... Man, if you were just worthy, you know, if you could just put aside your pride and listen to God's still small voice, you would know that I, mean, I that's am really right about what everything. Joseph Smith did when his wife was like, could you stop fucking the babysitter? It's <laughs> just like, uh, oh, if man. only you were righteous he enough. He also said he's going to kill you if you say that again. Yeah, yeah. there's this angel with a sword who's just going <laughs> to lop your head off. I um, Did you ever read that article that I shared in the Mormon in the Meth Head Facebook group. No, did you? I thought you shared it saying I only read the headline. I only read the headline I was driving or something. Okay. So did... <laughs> I only read headlines when I'm driving. You were, you were like you had to push so many buttons. <laughs>
premise of it is religious trauma syndrome is a set of symptoms and characteristics that tend to go together and which are related to harmful experiences with religion. They are the result of two things, immersion in a controlling religion and the secondary impact of leaving the religious group. I read, I read that uh, three chapters of that psychotherapist book about fear of intimacy and that same author had written all these books on like uh, harmful inner voices or like critical companion stuff that we've talked about that that mean voice inside of you and it talks about that mean voice being developed uh, when you're a child from the impressions of your parents so if your parents were overly critical uh, or abusive or neglectful or just mean or yelled a lot and you didn't like emotionally bond with them that you would develop that as kind of a sub-personality that would then be that harmful voice in your mind. And I have thought a lot about how religion, even if your parents are loving, because you got a lot of people whose parents were religious but were loving, you know, loving and kind religious yeah. people. You have a lot of awful religious parents also. Sure. Um, but how religion itself serves as that voice because the message the message of the critical companion is that you are not lovable. You are not worthy of being loved. And which is in hypnosis, one of the things that you have to program into people is that they are lovable. And you have to program out this idea that they are innately bad. And that is the only message that we teach kids it, with religion is this idea that you are unworthy of God's love, but here he will grant it to you anyway, which puts you in a deficit. You're just automatically in a deficit where you need religion and church to give you something in order to make you good. Dude, that deficit, something about that and the, and the, and the unworthy that he will grant. I'm with you. Cause that's how I feel about relationships myself. I feel in a deficit I feel like uh, if so, and that yeah, they 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 people have to give me so much love beyond that which I am worthy of, you know. Yeah, I. So what do you? So if the critical companions from is just religion, we talk about your Aubrey Plaza voice and and stuff. So my as a child, my mom, I'm still reconciling that my mom did love me, but that was not my impression as a child. And so I, my experience with my inner, I at some point realized, no, my mom is the problem and the rest of the world is the problem and I will never let anyone get close enough again to hurt me. And so my critical companion was more of this kind of defender and I just destroyed anyone that showed any evidence that they would hurt me and I, I kept myself at a, at a non-vulnerable place where I feel like your most pe a lot of people's experience with a critical companion is this kind of standing over you telling you how unworthy you are and unlovable you are but then when I tried to stand up to that critical companion I ended up in that place you know where it it stood over you mm-hmm she fought back. She wasn't going to take your shit. But this idea that it is a doctrine that programs that into you rather than a parent. Yeah. I, it's why 
I loved so much what my friend Peter Alfred Kern, lawyer extraordinaire, said to his daughter about leaving Mormonism or why he doesn't why he doesn't go. Yeah. He said, They think you're broken and I don't think you're broken. It was I love that. Yeah. What he said. But that's still how I, I still feel so unworthy. I know I know that I'm like, all right, so a church taught me some false things. I don't have to believe it anymore. But I still do. I still think I'm unworthy of everything. I still feel people with high self esteem, man. What is that like? What do you what's your life like? So uh I think we had this conversation recently where I finally articulated what self-worth is because I think for me having been someone that wasn't born confident I know a couple people Jason uh Sydney Gant people that just uh have never doubted themselves in their lives and have never had low self-esteem and it's never occurred to them to to think anything other than they're awesome and these are like not arrogant people because there's a big difference between confidence and arrogance. Arrogance is loud. It's scratchy. It sounds to someone like you would you would see straight through it as bullshit. Um, confidence rubs a lot of people the wrong way, which is funny. Like when you get people like Sydney or Jason who have, who just have unshakable confidence, it's funny to watch more insecure people bounce off of them and not understand it. But for someone like you or I, I think you can feel the difference between confidence and arrogance. I have high self-esteem. I have uh, high self-worth and I don't, but it's like a well is how I would describe it. It's a well that, that gets drained and that has to be refilled. Your confidence is? Mm-hmm. It is, uh, I know at the core of my being that I am worthy of love and that my life matters and that I matter and that I, I have a set of my own personal rules and integrity that I don't stray from. I know that I, if I do strain for them, I know that I'm someone that does not have a a problem with apologizing or making things right. And these are my own, co my own code of ethics that make sense to me. They are not dictated by what other people think. I know that I am things that are important to me, like be, uh, marching to the beat of my own drummer, not letting other people make my decisions. I'm rarely guided by fear. I, uh, I have no problem pivoting or changing my mind. I consider myself open-minded and uh, allow my mind to be changed when someone presents a good argument. These are things that are qualities that I like. And there are qualities that are mine that haven't always been mine. Some of them I've adopted to, from people in my life. Uh, after admiring them and other people, I go for what I want. I uh, used to be someone that never finished anything. Now I'm someone that finishes things. I like all these things about myself. And so that fills my well. And uh, occasionally... I, that well gets drained. Occasionally people say awful things to me and it just takes a little bit out. And then I have to go back and fill that back up. And a lot of times, most of the majority of the time, people who don't like me, I don't like them. I can tell by the way that someone, I used uh, YouTube comments as an example or an audience where it's just, I'm not their cup of tea and that's fine. I'm not your cup of tea. It's, I don't like you. And 
Dude, that I wouldn't hang out with you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like you either. We're not cut from the same energetic cloth. So why would I ever judge myself based on your perception of me? And I can't think of anyone that I like that doesn't like me, like doesn't like me, like fundamentally doesn't like me. I think I talked to you about the self-esteem being a, a well recently in uh, the last year in some of our interactions where yeah. I'm like, I'm just not an endless river of self-confidence. A lot of this stuff drains my self-confidence and then I'm, I'm having to fill it back up. But a lot of what I'm filling it back up is the things that I just listed. Things that I, qualities that I love, qualities that I think are valuable, qualities that I look for in other people. Those are my qualities. Do you go out and do or be those things to fill it back up? Or you just sit and say to yourself, I, uh, you remind yourself that you are those things. I, I remind myself that I am those things. It helps me to go and look uh, and find out if I made a mistake if I made a mistake in the situation that drained my self-esteem and, um, and fix that mistake and think about ways that I can be better and ways that I can, uh, if, if the self-esteem hit is, is caused by a behavior of mine that I don't like, then I put the effort into fixing that thing. So it used to, it used to hurt my self-esteem that I never finished anything. I didn't like that quality about myself. And so I paid attention to people who had that quality and I assimilated that quality. I talked to them about what it was that they did, how it is that they think, what their process is. And I took the pieces that would work for me and I became, I became that thing that I liked. When I admire qualities in other people that aren't my qualities, I don't look at that and think, oh, they're great and I'm bad. I think there's no reason that I can't also possess those qualities. And I just learn about those qualities and assimilate them. And that builds my self-esteem. And so I have created, I have become. I think a lot of times we just like, this is who I am. You're just the product of the decisions and the conclusions and the perceptions that you've gathered throughout your life. But at any point you can decide, I'm no longer going to be a person who doesn't work out. I'm no longer going to be a person who smokes cigarettes. I'm no longer going to be a person who gossips. I used to be an awful gossip. And that took a long time to dissect. And when I dissected it, I learned that I was insecure. I was insecure about these things about me. And so I would uh, pick apart people who, who didn't have the few qualities that I did like about myself. And I would pass the time doing that so I could hide my insecurities behind it. And it was an addiction. I was gross, gross gossip when I first got clean. And I just changed it. I just changed that thing about myself. I want to be a person who stands up for myself. I want to be a person that doesn't let other people make me feel bad. You see yourself through other people's eyes so strongly that when I met you, you felt like a you felt like a pile of laundry in the corner of a room that when I got <laughs> that turned into a person that when I got close to was a pile of gold. And I was just like, what the fuck oh. is this? Why is it? Why is this pile of gold dressed up like a pile of laundry? And I just felt like you were just sitting in the middle of the room and I in That's... the corner of this room. And I was just like, how does no one notice that this is here? Why does he have dirty clothes on top of him? And that's a bad. That's a bad. Because that's a genius way to hide your golds. That's. A, <laughs> I 
imagine like what a good what a genius scrooge mcduck like just he's like oh oh this room this is just a room full of dirty laundry <laughs> no one would ever rob it uh yeah i, thought I you, guess if you've you said... knew if you knew you were a pile of gold it would work but then you go to try to trade this gold in, and the gold at the bank is just like no i'm laundry i'm laundry i'm laundry it's like no you're a fucking white i you, thought you, you were short i remembered you as short because you you carried yourself so small that I was like when I saw you again I was like uh whoa I do not remember you being six what the fuck ever I remembered you being four. a small person <laughs> six foot four for anyone wondering yeah I you used to say that uh you called it a, like I wore a mask yeah you I wore, wore a, mask a, a, of worse, a less a less a worse mask like some people wear put on nice masks and so when you said pile I thought you were gonna say like my costume was just like you, that I, I was imagining more of me walking around with just wearing dirty laundry just like uh, uh, a walking pile of dirty laundry coming around hello hello yeah well I described uh, a stationary pile of dirty laundry pile. but so, yeah, I I <laughs> I hold on. All right, wait, stop. We'll cut this. Uh, no, my stationery was funny. Really? What? I'm cut oh, my jokes. I thought like what? Oh, okay. I thought you were annoyed. I thought I was being. No, uh. Uh-uh. Sorry, I got to. No, it's not my strongest. You know what analogy. happened? I'm you know really what happened is analogies. you started complimenting me too much, and I started. Yeah, feeling I watched you shrink. S- I'm watching I'm you like curl s- up into the fetal position well, and try to scratch that. it off you're your body. Me. Listen, if you're gonna see yourself through someone else's eyes, see yourself through my eyes. I'm smarter than everyone else, and why would you listen to uh, some fucking chodes? That are selling dynamite before you would listen to me. That is a good question. That's never been posed to me. If I do see myself through other people's eyes, why do I only see myself through the, the people who dislike me? Like, well, there are people that like me, and I just, I'm like, well, <laughs> y'all are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because I think that program- y'all just saying that because you're my friends. Oh, y'all just da 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 da. And they don't listen to them. You said that about me too. You're like, yeah, well, you're just saying that because I'm in love with you, or you're in love with me, and I'm like. Yeah, but like, what do you think? You're just a, a gross douche that I fell in love with because you're just like by a, accident. Yeah, like someone put a spell on you, and now you're just forced to say <laughs> nice things about me. The good point. That's another. That's another very good point. Uh, um, the messages I got from General Conference, I had a lot. I I I feel like there were. I don't know. I, I said something about being a straight white male earlier, so I got more uplifting things. And I was just trying to acknowledge my privilege there, that I never had it as bad. But there were still plenty of messages at every general conference that made, that were making me feel like shit. I don't know if I could say they were designed to make me feel like shit, but they did. Every, being yelled at uh, for pornography or for jerking off. You know, I've told you about how I didn't. Yeah. I learned about jerking off when I was at conference, and I was being told that that thing that I did was this huge sinful thing, and I kept that secret to myself, and I let that uh, rot out my brain and stuff. But there were lots of things that they were. We were the priesthood session, my least favorite one. So I stopped going. I felt the priesthood session was all negative. The the one that's just for men and. They would tear me apart. Maybe I'm just interpreting it that way. Maybe they weren't all screaming at me like I remember them screaming at me. But I would just hear talk after talk about how men aren't doing enough. 
and it's time to stop playing around. You need to go on missions, be a man, stop dilly daddling or whatever the whatever new word Jeffrey Holland was trotting out at the time to talk about uh, not being worthy enough or prepared enough. I got so many things about uh, at those meetings that sent me home sad. Yeah. And I hated them. You had all of these, like, uh, what did I used to call it? Landmines inside of you. All of these, like, triggers inside of you where natural feelings triggered feelings of shame. And natural desires feeling tr- feel uh, triggers feelings of shame. You think, you take a nap, you want to take a nap, and you're like, I'm lazy. And uh, just this, I, I, it's... Uh, written into the code of who you perceive yourself to be as a person. So you can decide, oh, the religion's not true. You can decide, oh, my parent was an addict or my parent wasn't, you know, I grew up in a time where people were too bent on not spoiling your kids. And so I didn't get my emotional needs met, whatever. You can come to that conclusion as an adult, but then you have to go back And you have to figure out what your fundamental beliefs are, not based on what other people want you to do, not based on what other people think is uh, the right thing. I don't like the word morality or uh, like for me, morality is what I have decided that my code of ethics is, what's important to me, what I consider to be integrity. And I live by those. And I don't care what everyone else thinks. I don't care. I don't, if everyone else is doing something, it does not register to me as facts. I just think, well, that's uh, something three of you came to a conclusion about, presented a compelling argument, and everyone else who's incapable of free thought followed you. And it does not make it more fact for me just because everyone else believes it. And I, through the core of my being, that doesn't, it gets shaken occasionally, usually if I'm kind of vulnerable. So if I'm standing up doing stand-up, that's a vulnerable thing for me. And uh, the collective consciousness of that room, I feel influenced by while I'm doing stand-up. But when I'm just in the world and everyone is parroting some, that this is fact, it it doesn't shake me at all. Speaking of taking messages that we're looking for, last night we were watching Big Mouth and the hormone monster asked the shame wizard, which is a very fun. <laughs> like, why did the why did you go up to that kid? And he was like, oh, his parents gave him too much self esteem. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's that like? <laughs> but I I thought it was because I, I I relate to this idea of the shame wizard, right? And, uh, he's always around me. He's always, he's, he's, he has my ear quite easily. And I think about you as someone the shame wizard can't get to because you've, uh, you're too sure of yourself. I think I, I think I have those same thoughts and then I just neutralize them. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to buy into this idea? And there are certain people you've had an effect on my self-esteem at times because I hold you in high regard and that I would uh, have an impression of your impression of me and that would affect me for a minute. And then I would, that would be a little harder to neutralize than some jackass on the internet or off the street or some audience member. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a practice of first figuring out what you fundamentally believe to be true 
and then reconciling that everyone else's truth and everyone else's perception is their own game of mirrors and doesn't have anything to do with you. There's a recovery, like cliche, other people's opinion of me is none of my business. And it's their opinion of you is based on their own their own trauma and prejudices and beliefs and insecurities. And sometimes you could be reflecting back something that they hate about themselves. And I think I've gotten better, but I do still lie awake at night thinking about what other people think about me. There's I'm, I'm better at neutralizing those thoughts and getting better at feeling, feeling the well, but that's my weak point, man. I need everyone to think nice things of me but then not too nice things. You yeah. know, I don't know what the fuck my deal is. We'll try to figure it out <laughs> another time on the show. Uh, is there anything that we have to plug before we leave? Just come to our shows. Happy Halloween. I guess we should say happy Halloween to everyone. Have fun uh, trick or treating. And uh, then we'll see you guys next weekend at our shows in Pocatello twin and Salt Lake city. And the following week in New York City. God damn it. I better get good at stand-up again before then. Uh, yeah, if anyone wants to come to Caroline's on Broadway, I guess. I don't know if you can get into that show. It might be so exclusive that they don't let you plebeians in. But uh, I think if you go to New York Comedy Festival. Dot com. Dot com. You can get tickets. You can get tickets. So, yeah, I guess we'll see you guys there. And uh, there's going to be a Patreon episode up this week. But if you're not uh, a patron, then we'll just see you next week on Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just a read our friends. Listen to 